Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we will continue our reflections into this all very important topic of the world stage. And as promised, Father Mike will be with me every Wednesday. He is the star of the show. So, Father Mike, <laughs> great to have you with me this evening. We're really in trouble if I'm the star. <laughs> well, they can listen to me every night. You know? <laughs> we only get you on Wednesday night. Um, one of the things I wanted to do, Father Mike, was welcome our international audience. I know we broadcast out of Chico, California, but it is this program is uploaded as an iTunes podcast, which affords us the opportunity to reach a whole lot more people. And uh, it's always humbling at the same time, convicting to prep this program for the many listeners who are listening out there in the international community. So as always, I thank you, especially those who are listening in the countries of uh, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, uh, Western Europe, Italy, Portugal, Spain, France. Um, and I know we have some listeners in South Africa and China. Um, it always amazes me who's listening, but uh, hey, <laughs> by the grace of God, go you and I. Yeah. And as we do, Father Mike, we do with this endeavor before us to really break open what this world stage is all about, what this Wednesday evening is all about. Two weeks ago, we really wanted to introduce this topic and do so that we might better understand just not where we've been, where we are at, but where we are going. Mm -hmm. We are here to talk about the theodrama, but we also have a role to play yeah. in the drama of salvation history. So the likes of Avon Balthasar, a very well-respected 20th century theologian, would speak to this theodrama. Yeah. And he would say that in the end, we do have to understand that the drama is about the play not that we write, we produce, we direct, or above all, we star in, but the play that God writes, God produces, God directs, and above all else, God stars in. Yeah, and, and one of the more, more striking images for von, von Balthasar is he says that uh, Jesus is God's act, Yeah, that the good which God is is something done. And so as we look at storylines, characters, what we ourselves do, we really are talking about uh, how that good that God is... Uh, makes its way into our lives and is acted out on the stage of uh, your life and mine. Yeah, amen. And so last week we talked about Les Miserables. Right. Was the first movie, and we used, oh, who were the characters? See, I've forgotten them already. Jean Valjean, uh, Javert, uh, Bishop Muriel, to talk about how mercy is a certain kind of fulfillment to justice, as St. Augustine would speak to it. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we spoke of it as the crowning achievement of justice. Yes. Uh, Javert, who uh, was the police uh, inspector who represented justice as harsh, rigorous, uh, following application of the law, the rules, where the bishop, and then uh, through a process of kind of redemption, uh, Valjean became the just man as one who is generous and ultimately as one who is compassionate. And so this evening, we have the opportunity to talk about Shaw Shank Redemption. Now, there are some movies out there, Father Mike, that are rich in uh, Christian allegory. 
And certainly Shawshank Redemption is one of those movies. Now, maybe some of our listening audience is hearing that phrase, Christian allegory, and thinking, what is that? An allegory, more generally speaking, is the description of one thing under the image of another, right? So what you have in Shawshank Redemption is a story that very much describes something bigger. J.R. Tolkien said, one said, you always have to appreciate the narrative so as to appreciate the allegory. Yeah. And so in many ways, that's what we're doing. We're going to appreciate the narrative so as to appreciate the Christian allegory. And, you know, interesting, I didn't know this. You mentioned this the other day that, that this movie, firstly, was written by Stephen King. Yes. And, yes. and I'd seen it a number of times before, and I didn't know that. But secondly, that Stephen King was very uh, adamant about the fact that he intended this. Yes. That this yes. was deliberate. Yes. And so we're not just fishing in the movie. I mean, Stephen King intended this to be a Christian allegory. Yeah, in point of fact, if you get into a lot of Stephen King's novels, he's about Christian allegory. Now, again, some of our listeners might be hearing this thinking, what? Yeah, it <laughs> seems know? weird. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. W- were we just talking about it? <laughs> we were talking about clowns, yeah, so maybe that's going to be on the list. Yeah. All right. So as it relates to Shawshank Redemption, uh, here you have, Father Mike, a man who has been falsely accused of murdering his wife and ultimately finds himself entering into this incarcerated world in this prison setting, Shawshank Prison, right? What's key for us here is to understand and appreciate that Andy Dufresne, who is the central protagonist, the central character in this movie, He takes on this air about him, where while he is in Shawshank Redemption, he is not of Shawshank Redemption. And it's a point that Bishop Barron made in his own commentary Mm -hmm. on this movie, that he's, while he's in Shawshank Redemption, he's not of Shawshank Redemption. So towards the beginning of the movie, when Andy Dufresne is coming into the prison, we are introduced to a number of uh, key characters, one of which goes by the name of Red. Uh, who, of course, for those of you who have watched the movie, is played by the illustrious Morgan Freeman, right? One of my favorite actors. Great actor. Uh, I was actually working on my Morgan Freeman impersonation, but I'll (laughs) spare you that. (laughs) So as the bus is riding into Shawshank Prison, Red and his buddies begin to place their bets on what inmate will be the first to break, what inmate will be the first to snap in this incarcerated world. And of course, Red, Morgan Freeman, places his bet on Andy Dufresne, who's played by Tim Robbins. Certainly, at least initially, as the movie portrays it, he was not a guy who was overwhelming. But as it turns out, in the first night, not a peep from the banker, Mm. as Morgan Freeman says, right? Mm -hmm. Morgan Freeman says later, in regards to Andy Dufresne being different, he was different. There was a different awe about him. He walked as if There was no care in the world. He walked with purpose. He walked with purpose. So already, I would say in the first 10, 15 minutes, we are introduced, Father Mike, to again this reality of how Andy Andy Dufresne is a Christ-like figure. He is, yes, in this incarcerated world, but not of this incarcerated world. So he doesn't belong to this incarcerated world, so to speak. And this is where the allegory that the Christ figure is so explicit. He is the innocent one yeah. who has come to the world that is guilty, or the incarcerated world. And he kind of takes the weight of that guilt upon himself, uh, although being innocent. What is it, uh, St. Paul? Said? He shared in all things uh, but, sin. but sin. So I think that, that, that it's so explicit there. 
And, and secondly, uh, walking with purpose. I mean, if there's one thing that we could say about Jesus is that he was sent by the Father, and he, uh, he was anguishing to complete the Father's work, and it was about his will. So certainly Jesus was one who walked with this purpose of being sent by God, uh, of drinking the cup that the Father had prepared for him. Yeah, and it's interesting when you uh, read closely the Gospel of John, one of the things that you see is this theme of the hour emerging. All throughout the Gospel of John, we read of Jesus speaking of the hour. And really, in every case, it opens your eyes because you wouldn't expect him to be talking about the hour. And of course, the hour is the crucifix, right? He's caught up in his Father's mission. Essentially, his whole journey, his whole walk with God is about working, walking with the end in mind. Yeah, and the image of walking in and of itself is such a scriptural image. Adam and Eve, uh, Adam walking with God in the garden, uh, the relationship with God as walking with him and sin as somehow not being able to walk with him. Um, the mission of the church may be walking in the world without being overcome by some of this worldly stuff. It's, it's a rich scriptural image. One of the things that strikes me, Father Mike, in the beginning of the movie, Red grabs his buddies and he goes to the top of these steps once they heard the sirens and they see the bus coming in, and you're introduced to this theme of friendship within this incarceration. You know that relationships are certainly um, a big part of what what life anywhere is, but we see this even in prison. And, And what struck me about that initial scene is it seemed like the most daunting part of the initial prison experience was the other prisoners. They're they're placing their bets on who's gonna break at night. They're taunting one another from their cells. But this, this theme of relationships and, and relationships that are redeemed mm-hmm. kind of is a thread that runs through the whole movie, so much so that you get to the very end, and the excitement or the desire is, I only hope to see my friend and to shake his hand. Yeah, yeah, so beautiful. And we speak of the incarcerated world, we speak of friendship. Certainly it's, it's not too much of a reach for us to look at our lives or to look around and to say, you know, there is much unfreedom in my life. Mm-hmm. And one of my creeping suspicions, at least for myself, is many of our chains in life have a lot to do with relationships and, and the need for our friendships, our relationships in life to, to tend towards freedom, to be redeemed. Yeah, St. John Paul II once said that God saves us in communion, and part of that salvific element of communion is our friendships, because our friendships is where we discover what it means to love right? Which also means how to forgive, right? We release the redemptive love of Christ when we discover not only how to love one another in our friendships, but also how to forgive. And certainly this is something that plays itself out in Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, and, and very much, when these prisoners get out of jail, the one thing that you're, the kind of juxtaposition is you see all of his friends having lunch in the prison and then the, the freed prisoner is out by himself, that there yeah. is this connection between freedom and friendship. Um, also thematic, you know, in, in this is these prisoners, as they're coming out, there's a great fear of freedom. They're accustomed to the walls. They're accustomed to their chains. Um, somehow friendship accompanying this process of coming into freedom, mm-hmm. uh, the need for that friendship is something we might take away uh, as a real gem in the movie for us. And it's interesting, in sacred scripture, the first time that Jesus calls his disciples his friends is when? But when he's instituting the Eucharist, mm. at a very intense moment in salvation history, if you will, yeah. does he call his disciples his friends? Now I call you my friend. And so 
there too, there's something going on within Shawshank Redemption. Uh, certainly, we, we don't have the time to get into these 27 years that, yeah. that plays out in Shawshank Redemption with Andy Dufresne, but over the course of time, you see that Andy Dufresne's rela- uh, relationship, friendship with Red, is strengthened when he's going through these difficult trials and this very particular suffering that is tied to uh, the prison walls of this incarcerated world. Yeah, absolutely. So, now, Father Mike, in another key scene in the movie, uh, years have passed and Andy Dufresne has become the prison librarian, or at least he's helping out Brooks, who was the prison librarian, yeah. right? And he has this desire to expand the library with just not books, but anything that will, we could say, enculturate the prison. So he begins to get a collection after a series of outreaches to different people to get the money to finance what he wants to do. He begins to get a collection of albums, and one of those albums was Mozart. Mm -hmm. And in one of the more savory moments in the movie, he puts Mozart on the loudspeaker. And to have it play, he has to lock himself in the warden's office. (laughs) It's a very rich scene. He knows that by doing this, he is taking a great risk, and he's going to get himself in trouble. But he did it anyways. He gets locked like in the hole for, what is it, a month, yeah. two months, something <laughs> yeah. like that. And, and he knew that was coming. Yeah. Yet, he did it anyways. Yeah. So there is this beautiful scene of Mozart being played on the loudspeaker. And as it's played on the loudspeaker, the music kind of descends into the courtyard. And so what descends into the courtyard is beauty. Beauty descends into the courtyard, and I love the cinematography at this point in the movie because it kind of takes the bird's eye view, and all of the prisoners are just kind of looking up, which is very intentional. And Morgan right. uh, Morgan Freeman's narration at this point is so great. Yeah. Like, I don't know what those two ladies were singing yeah. about, but it was the most but beautiful thing. Matter. Yeah, it didn't matter. And he says that the music made every last man feel free. Amen. You know, th- this touches on something that deeply Catholic, and that is uh, our, our, our deep conviction that the world is in desperate need of beauty. Yes. And how often is the, is the charge leveled? You know, the church has all of this precious artwork. Uh, we spend money and build these big churches. Why aren't we investing that in, in the poor? And certainly there's something to be said there, but something I think is forgotten uh, when we deny the need that we have for uh, beauty. Yeah. You know, von Balthasar says that we're used to evangelizing with truth, mm. and maybe to some extent goodness, but should we not lead with beauty? Absolutely. Should we not lead with beauty? It's interesting. I talk about my kids a lot here on the radio program, and my youngest, who is three years old, I'll never forget this. This was more like when she was one and a half. We were driving along the highway, and all of a sudden, she starts pounding on the window. Hmm. And you know, here, my wife and I, we think something's wrong. We need to stop, right? Maybe she needs to go to the bathroom. It's a potty break time. But she was pointing. And we did end up stopping because she was pointing at this beautiful rainbow. Mm -hmm. Beauty had captivated her. Yes. As a a one-and-a-half-year-old, as Von Balthasar would put it, she had this kind of aesthetic arrest. It just evangelized her one-and-a-half-year-old soul. (laughs) And this is what beauty does. Absolutely. One of my favorite poets, uh, Mary Oliver, she's got a poem. Mm. She says, why do people keep asking for God's identity papers when the sunrise (laughs) is more than enough? Yes, that's a great line. Yeah, so we are to lead with beauty, and this is what uh, Andy Dufresne does. Mm -hmm. He enculturates 
something of the divine within this incarcerated world. And I wanted to pause here and talk about this because this is really what evangelization is all about. I like how you say it, lead with the beautiful. It's a great principle. So as the movie moves along here, Father Mike, it comes to a head in his dealing, that is Andy Dufresne's dealing with the warden. The warden is an interesting character because we might call him a, a kind of Pharisee, Religious on the outside, but maybe a little shady on the inside. <laughs> in point of fact, the warden was uh, not only using Andy Dufresne to do his taxes, it became well known that this guy was a banker, yeah. uh, he knew how to do taxes, so on and so forth. And of course, there's the one scene where all of the inmates from all of the surrounding prisons, you know, come to Shawshank Prison because he's doing all of their taxes. Right. So the warden not only has him doing his taxes, but also having him uh, take care of all of his shady dealings. You know, it's laundering money. You <laughs> first meet the warden, and he says, the number one rule in the prison is no blasphemy. I will not have the Lord's name taken in vain. Yeah. And he's wearing a little cross lapel. <laughs> and the yeah. interesting thing is, I mean, he is the most blasphemous of them all, and he's yeah. using the Lord's name to kind of do all his dirty dealings. Mm -hmm. That's the Pharisee, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. So after the 27 years, Andy Dufresne is finally done with all the games. And so maybe important to the narrative itself here, Father Mike, we should say something else here. He has been telling away at this wall, at the wall with this little rock hammer. Mm -hmm. And no one was aware of what he was doing because he was tunneling through a wall that was covered by a picture of Rita Hayworth. Well, Rita Hayworth initially, over time, the, the pictures of these women changed, yeah. right? Incidentally, the book by Stephen King is titled Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it kind of captures this whole aspect of this Christ-like figure working at freedom hmm. while in this incarcerated world. Yeah. And Stephen King was very intentional about that. And so, again, 27 years pass, and he makes his escape. Again, we don't have the time to get into all this now, but what he does essentially is he climbs down this rope once he gets to the other side of the wall, and he, with a very large rock, breaks through this sewer pipe. So he climbs into this sewer pipe, and then he has to crawl through what would amount to, what, five football fields, Yeah, right? 500 yards. 500 yards of the worst of human extract. Okay? Yeah, sewage. I mean, nasty yeah. sewage. <laughs> the muck and, and the mire and the mud and all the rest. He had to pass through that. Mm -hmm. And then there's the beautiful scene where he comes out of the sewer, he falls into the water, and he raises up his arms in this cruciform, but not as one who has been crucified as much as one who is now victorious. So there's kind of a resurrection feel. Oh, yeah, and it's hard to overlook the water theme there too, and yes. baptism and, yes. and the cleansing from the filth that he'd been through. As we speak to this in the sewage and whatnot, I, I want to stay with this a little bit because this really does get to the heart of what Stephen King and, and what this movie is all about. Mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately, what comes to a climax here is the essence of the Paschal Mystery. You know, we use the word, Father Mike, salvation, and maybe some of our listeners don't know what that word means. Yeah. Uh, salvation comes from uh, the Latin word salvatio, which when you look at the root, uh, salve, literally translates as uh, to heal or healing balm. So here we are talking about the incarcerated world, yeah. right? Jesus enters into this world, and we are imprisoned by sin. 
Well, what is sin? Sin is essentially our wounds, our brokenness. And Jesus has come to heal those wounds. Yeah, and in the New Testament, I mean, sin is portrayed as a disease. Yes. You know, so healing is very much a, a response to sin. Yes, and so we are called to enter into what this salvation is all about. We have to remember that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, that we are called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. So it's not enough, Father Mike, to just be aware what, of what salvation is, to just be aware that the medicine exists, yeah. right? If I go to the doctor, I need to actually take the medicine, apply the medicine, and really get to know more about what that medicine is all about, right? Yeah. I've shared with my listening audience that uh, I have a genetic disposition that has led to high blood pressure, mm-hmm. right? So I have to listen to my nutritionist, yeah. as I just ate a bowl of ice cream before I came over here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I have to listen to my nutritionist that's going to help me. Yeah. If I don't listen to my nutritionist, then I'm not going to heal properly. So it's not enough to just know something exists. You have to apply it. Right? So this is what Paul is talking about here when he says, you have to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Enter into this relationship that Jesus has called us into. And you talk about working out your salvation. One of the most striking, I guess, dynamics of this storyline for me is Andy, for 27 years every night, is behind that poster, chipping, chipping, chipping away at yeah. the wall. Yeah. He's working out his salvation night after yeah. night after night for 27 years. Yeah. With a hammer. With a hammer, a small hammer. And so, yeah. I mean, just... Work out your salvation, committing to the project. I mean, just just keep chipping away. Yeah. That that really struck me. Such rich imagery. Yeah, you know, it really the, is. The, the hammer, right? And, and it's great because he hides his hammer in his Bible, and the Bible had a little note from the yes. from the word that says, "Salvation lies within." Yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> it's that was such a great rich line. imagery. It is. Yeah, it's interesting, Father Mike. As you were talking earlier, I was made to think of that line from Leonardo da Vinci, where he says, "Sculpture is the art of removing." We could say that sculpture is the art of chipping away. And in many ways, this is what holiness is all about, right? This whole idea of sculpture and removing. I remember uh, Father Canto de Mesa, uh, he once remarked that uh, other arts consist in adding something, right? Color to canvas and painting stone on stone and architecture, note after note in music. But there's something different with sculpture, because only sculpture consists in the art of removing, chipping away, of, of taking away pieces of marble that are in excess. And this is what we see as it relates to holiness and really how this leads to freedom. The removing and making useless pieces fall off, namely our desires, our ambitions, our carnal tendencies, that in the end, Father Mike, only disperse us and and don't leave us finishing anything. Such a rich, rich image. Maybe we should get to the conclusion here, Father Mike. Mm -hmm. Uh, Andy Dufresne is gone. And on the next day, the warden and the guards find that he is gone, right to their surprise. Uh, They're shocked to find that although they were closely watching the cell, he slipped away right underneath them. Mm And I think a real moment of resurrection there. You know, they thought he was there, they were guarding it, and there he's gone. Now, the movie does not end with the warden taking his own life after Andy exposed him for what he did, because in the end, he does take his own life. But it ends with another savory, delicious moment in the movie, when Red finally makes parole. All throughout the movie, 
there's points where Red almost reaches parole. Right, yeah. And <laughs> interestingly, when he does make parole, he says, I don't care. Do whatever you're going to do, right? Yeah, but and stop he, wasting my time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stop wasting my time. So he finally makes parole. And as he does, he remembers what his good friend Andy Dufresne told him, that if he were to ever make parole, be sure to go to a particular tree in a particular town and there will be something there waiting for you. And so this is what he does once he makes parole. He goes to this tree. And there he finds this letter, and I want to read it. This letter reads, Dear Red, if you're reading this letter, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the, the name of the town, don't you? I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you and finds you well, your friend, Andy. It's such a beautiful letter, and as far as the Christian allegory goes, this is where you really, I think, hear the voice of the risen Christ uh, to each of us in in the process of our own struggle. What I like is... uh, you know, you've come this far, can you come a little further? Mm. I think that ought to speak to each one of us as we're chipping away at our own freedom. Yes. And yes. of course, the, the role that we have, we talk about the drama, the world stage. I have a project and I need a good man, a good mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really a, a rich image. For me, I hear the, the risen Christ in this letter. Yeah, amen. You know, it's interesting when you think about what hope is, this virtue that speaks to confident assurance and, and things unseen, uh, that which inspires you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. The Catechism speaks to the sin against hope, which, de- which is despair. Mm. And it's interesting because I find myself in a lot of different conversations, Father Mike, where a lot of people think they are in despair, but really what they are experiencing is anguish. Yeah. Anguish. You know, they say, I just want God to take my life. Yeah. That's anguish. Mm-hmm. Because even when you say, I just want God to take my life, God, please take my life, you're having a conversation with God, right? right? This was a point of reflection before we came on air. You know, despair doesn't have that conversation with God. Yeah. I, I hear it a lot. People will come and they feel bad. I shouldn't have said this to God, and, or maybe I shouldn't have been angry with God. But, but there's still, as you say, a dialogue with God there versus the despair by which we say, I'm done with God. Yeah. So I think we should be encouraged by maybe... A figure like Job Absolutely. or Jonah, mm-hmm. right, who asked God to take their life. What we are to see is that ultimately they were in a place of intense suffering yeah. and intense sorrow, but yet they were still will- willing to converse with God, yeah. have a conversation with God. There was hope, you know, and so we pray for that uh, gift of hope. The decision there is God is still a part of this story. Yes. You know, where despair, yes. maybe, that the story loses that foundation. And as long as God is there, he's going to lead us to brighter paths. And for Red, it was uh, to want the nail. Is that the name of the town, the Mexican it's, town? It's Something close. like that. It's close. Yeah. <laughs> Don't check me on that. I think you're in the neighborhood. Yeah. So, Father Mike, we have that closing scene where Andy Dufresne sees Red. He's working on the boat. It, it's on the beachfront of that Mexican town. And in that scene, there was something that really captivated me, and that was the embrace between 
Andy Dufresne and Red, two friends embracing, hugging this lifelong journey that has led them to, to this place, this place of new life. You know, how can you miss the, the feel of uh, the resurrected life, huh? It's hard to miss the Christian imagery, the resurrection, Jesus meeting his disciples at the shore. There's a boat there, the yes. great image for oh. the church. I mean, on and yeah. on and on. It's yeah. very rich Christian uh, in Christian symbols. And so with that, Father Mike, uh, I, I think at best what we could do is really encourage our listening audience to watch Shawshank Redemption. It's one of the great classic movies. If you haven't seen it, it's really worth checking yeah. out. There's a few expletives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be prepared. Be prepared. Yeah, right? Um, but it, it's worth your while, because we have, again, only scratched the surface. Yeah. Father Mike, before we go, we have to decide on a movie next week. Uh, the one request that has come to me is that it be a Christmas movie. Yeah, that makes sense. We're getting close. So we're getting close. How about It's a Wonderful Life? That's definitely a classic. It's a classic. Uh, it, it is a Christmas movie, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a Christmas movie. And it's not as sad as a lot of the Christmas <laughs> movies you see yes. on TV. <laughs> yeah, you were just talking about the Hallmark movies, right? Yeah. <laughs> so It's a Wonderful Life. That sounds great. Would you close this with a word of prayer? Father, we give you thanks for your call to freedom, uh, for your call to friendship and to peace, and we ask for your blessing. You who are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.